0: Welcome to Cardigan and Collar. My name is David Louie, and I teach theology at the North American Lutheran Seminary, which is centered in Ambridge, Pennsylvania. I'm joined by my co-host, Pastor Maurice Lee. He pastors Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Abington, Pennsylvania, and Pastor Maurice also serves as an adjunct lecturer at the NALS. Today, we are launching our podcast, Cardigan and Collar. This is our first episode and uh, Maurice, have you ever done this before? Have you ever been on a podcast or hosted a podcast like this?
1: Well, you know, I've got to say, a couple of years ago, I had this bright idea to start a podcast, a theology podcast, got together with several friends. We actually sat in a room and recorded uh, a session and that was it. That, it never went anywhere. So I'm glad to be part of this.
0: That's awesome. So the episode never actually launched, but it's somewhere on your it hard never... drive.
1: Okay. That's correct. That's correct.
0: <laughs> well, this is a, we're realizing a dream of yours then by doing this. That's yeah. right. Now, I think Ooh. we probably owe it to our listening audience to explain our title um, of our show, Cardigan and Collar. <laughs> so could you maybe say a little bit about what we're aiming at in the podcast
1: yeah, one of the things, cardigan and collar. That well, I, w- one of the things we're trying to do is to uh, is to highlight the connection between theology, particularly the kind of. Uh, uh, heavy-duty academic theology that gets written about and taught in seminaries and other places, uh, the connection between that and uh, the church, church ministry on the ground, pastoral work, uh, the kind of thing that is not only preached and uh, taught in Sunday school classes, but also talked about uh, among people and and, and, pr- and practiced and performed uh, in various Kinds of service and outreach and and mission and discipleship and so forth. So those are the kinds of connections we want to make. And uh, I think those images of well, I don't know, cardigan is that a? That I think that's me. like a that seems like a, a classic academic image. And of course, uh, collar referring to the the clerical collar that signifies the the servant or the slave of Christ.
0: Yeah, we're we're super excited about um, launching this podcast. We're we're kind of planning for each season, so we will have seasons that are somewhere between six and eight episodes, and the overarching trajectory of each season will be um, in the direction of concrete pastoral ministry. Um, But as we make our way towards where the rubber meets the road, as it were, in ministry, um, we're going to be pulling in, you know, guests who have special expertise in various facets of theology, church history, and so forth, so that then, by the time we reach the practical ministry, it'll be something that's very much informed um, by by theological reflection. So I'm I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm looking forward to discussing some of these topics with you and uh, getting started.
1: Indeed, I should say that the it's very interesting to me this this title. We both, of course, thought about it and and came up with it, uh, but. They they refer to both of these images cardigan and collar refer to something that you put on a piece of a piece of clothing a kind of outfit and um, there's lots to uh, there's lots to reflect on there but one of the things that we're stepping into is a kind of um, uh, a kind of office or a kind of responsibility yeah. that's been uh, that's been given to us we're trying to. Do something with it and run with it and be creative with it and have fun with it. But but this this office or responsibility that's symbolized or signified by the by the clothing that um, uh, that we wear, uh, I think that that is uh, that's something else that is sort of in the back of our minds as we do this.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I would I would just add. I think one of the the, the impetus for the podcast, as we were thinking about it, is um, the sad fact that theology and the church don't have not always. Worked in a collaborative way with one another. I mean, there's all kinds of historical reasons for this, but sometimes the kind of theology that's done in the academy these days, it's not particularly obvious that it has much to do with the life of the church. And conversely, there are ways of approaching church ministry, um, the work of a pastor, which may or which may or may not be all that substantive in terms of their theological foundation. So we're hoping this podcast can be a place where theology and pastoral ministry are really brought back into dialogue with one another and indeed are seen as different facets of one you know shared gospel ministry. So we certainly hope that comes through in the podcast that's that's kind of what we had in mind as we were
1: planning it. You know David you talk about that problem you set it up the the kind of the gulf or the the alienation the estrangement between of theology, especially academic theology, and and uh, church ministry, and it just gets my mind running. I mean, it just uh, my mind started to wander, and you know, I, and um, and it, it it made me think of the the history, and it also made me think that one of the things that is particularly uh, one of the things I'm particularly looking forward to in this podcast, in addition to getting our guests in and discussing the things, is uh, again sort of thinking about that. Uh, idea of office um, of learning. Uh, here here I am as a pastor of the church and and you as your office, your particular office as a teacher of the church, I'm uh, I'm learning from you and I'm I'm just and uh, I'm looking forward to that and enjoying that. That's what I was doing as I was listening to you and my my mind was going. But instead of going off on some historical <laughs> tangent, maybe I can, maybe I can uh, bring us to kind of the present day and ask, uh, the question. Maybe we can ask this from from both directions, right? We talk about this. Uh, we talk about this estrangement. Uh, what is the what is the problem? Like, um, if uh, if uh, if theology, the the practice or the um, uh, the the doing of theology in its uh, in its academic sense, but also in other senses. Uh, If that forgets, if theology forgets the church, what is the, what happens there? Why, why is that an issue? Why is that a problem? You
0: know, I, I think, I mean, in a nutshell, it's, I mean, such a great question and there's a lot of different facets we could think about, but I think what I'd want to say is that um, when theology forgets the church, um, it experiences a kind of identity crisis, Um, that's what I'd want to argue. There's of course, lots of different ways to define theology. What I have in mind here is I I want to make the claim that at its heart, um, at its most fundamental level, um, theology, the practice of theology, the enterprise of thinking theologically is so thoroughly interwoven into the life of the church that you can't You Actually, you can't disentangle theology from the church without fundamentally transforming the nature of theology, and thus, as I say, kind of um, catalyzing an identity crisis of sorts. So, I mean, just if I can set this up a bit, if you think back long before there were seminaries, um, long before theology was considered an academic discipline, um, the church still theologized. It's not, you know, we tend to think of theology as like, oh, that's a class you take at your Christian college, or that's a, you know, that's, that's one of the curricular requirements at a seminary. But I, I'd want to suggest that if you think about the early church, um, and, and if we think about theology just as um, sustained reflection on the nature of the Christian faith and its entailments for how we ought to live and so forth, I'd want to suggest that that's just what necessarily happens as the church engages in various aspects of its life. Right, if you're going to confess the truth as we do, we confess the creed. Um, creeds don't just fall from the sky, right? They are the artifact of theological reflection. Moreover, if you just say the words of a creed without understanding them, you're not really, you know, you're not really confessing the creed. So confessing the creed, that act of the church, which is just indispensable to the church's identity, it it presupposes it it entails theological reflection. And I'd I'd want to make the case that the same thing is true of Christian witness. Um, The same thing is true, of course, of catechesis. It's true of our worship life. It's true of um, the need to guard the deposit of faith as Paul enjoins Timothy, that these various activities of the church, these just part, part of the rhythms of its life, theology is baked into that. And so if we begin to define theology in a way that is abstracted from those practices and rhythms of the church's life, we've begun to talk about something other than theology as it has classically existed. That would be my—and thus you, you, the identity of the thing has has fundamentally been transformed.
1: You talk about an identity crisis. I mean, these days I'm like, get in line. I mean, everyone's <laughs> experiencing an identity sure. crisis. But why, why is— uh, I mean, how does that happen? How does theology as a as a discipline, as a way of thinking, as a as a as a practice, how does it get hived sure. off uh in the way in the way that it has from kind of the the nitty-gritty of 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 church life?
0: Yeah, th- I mean that boy, that's another interesting question. I mean, I'll I'll say just a little bit. I think part of it's just a natural tendency we have. you know I, I mentioned all these various activities of the church, um, engaging in witness, engaging in guarding the faith, and here I primarily have in mind the task of um, of naming false teaching and distinguishing it from sound doctrine. Each of these different mm-hmm. domains of theological reflection um, is itself a a a, um, a demanding and and deep Field of inquiry, right? So, in the early church, you think of a person like Origen, you know he's he's living at a time when Christianity's beginning to gather some steam. it's attracting um it's attracting the attention of intellectual elites. And those intellectual elites begin to write pretty serious um, criticisms of Christianity. And so, as just embedded in the task of bearing witness to the truth, um folks like origin and others begin writing you know treatises responding to these folks and but the point i really want to make here is that when you do that um the more sophisticated the critique gets the more demanding the task of response becomes and before too long um it can almost become a self-sustaining domain to itself. So, mm-hmm. so in other words, you mm-hmm, can get mm-hmm. something like a field of apologetics, which is a good thing. I'm not meaning to criticize apologetics, but you can start you can start to create the illusion that there's just this like independently existing um, area of investigation that we call apologetics or something like that. And it becomes less and less obvious over the years that this is actually part of what the church is doing. You see what I mean? It becomes like mm-hmm. a, a, its own yeah, independently yeah. existing, Um, field of inquiry. And the same is true, of course, of of a lot of the different things I mentioned. And so, you know, as you look across the landscape of modern theology, you know, we we see all these silos, you know, you've got the exegesis has become its own like disciplinary silo. Um, Philosophical theology has become its own disciplinary silo. Um, Liturgics has become its own kind of disciplinary silo. And there are some historical reasons for that beyond the, just the dynamic I've already explained, but I just think that's a natural right. tendency right. that we have that once you start really kind of focusing in on a particular aspect of theological reflection, it it can sometimes, um, the risk can be that you forget, you begin to forget the reason for why you're doing it.
1: I mean, I've got to say both of us know to some extent kind of from the inside how... Um, how hermetically sealed that that those silos oh, can absolutely. be right i mean you've got you know you're doing theology in an academic setting you're you've got your colleagues you're talking theology with them you go to these meetings you're giving these papers you're writing things for journals and it doesn't none of that has to be none of that has to make any connection with the church much less uh be understandable by anyone in <laughs> Yeah. And I mean,
0: in a sense, when theology gets subsumed into the academy, which is not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a universally negative thing. There are benefits that come from, you know, the, the academic, um, um, location of theology. Um, but in a sense, what you've done is you've, um, you, you've shifted the context in which theological inquiry is being undertaken. Um, I mean, already in the medieval period, folks were worried about this, right? You, Um, Theology, as it moves into the university, suddenly starts happening in the classroom primarily. It's no longer happening Mm -hmm. within the context of prayer and and meditation upon holy scripture and so forth. Although, of course, in the medieval universities there was a lot of piety injected into the the you know the rhythms of daily life. But there were I mean there were long long standing um, debates and controversies all across the medieval period about you know is it really appropriate to sort of extract theology from the church or from the monastery and insert it into the classroom. There were a lot of anxieties about that. And, uh, you know, I think some of those lingering tensions are still with us.
1: If you talk about an identity crisis, I mean, I can imagine someone saying, well, it's just a matter of realizing that the that the focus of theology and what, what it's all about and what it does is, has shifted. We shouldn't need to feel worried about mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, it can, it can sort of go off and do its own thing, but I think you're saying that there are other, there are other issues, there are other problems.
0: Well, um, I, yeah, I just think any, any, um, discipline of study ultimately has to, um, be founded in a, a basic rationale for why we're doing this. Um, mm-hmm. Now, of course, you can come to the New Testament with various. I'll use that as an example. You can come, for example, to the task of biblical interpretation with various answers to the question, why are we doing this? I mean, you might be someone who wants to know more about um, the religious history of Greco Roman society in the Mediterranean basin, for example. And so for you, it might, the, the why question might be sort of. Um, you know, it might be bound up with a desire for his, for historical knowledge, and and I don't want to say there's anything wrong with that. That's that's in some ways a perfectly appropriate set of questions to have. But I think when we start asking the question why theology, um, if the only context we have recourse to is the academy, we're, we will we will find that we are um, we're providing a rationale for why theological inquiry exists. Um, that is actually discontinuous with what Christians across the centuries have mostly assumed about why theology exists. And so maybe part of what I'm saying here is we just need to be honest about, you know, the fact that, um, there are different, uh, there are different ways of when we say the word theology, there can be, we can sometimes be, um, masking the fact that actually we're, we're fundamentally dealing with different enterprises of, of inquiry and, um, Again, I'd want to, just back to my main point, I'd want to make the case that theology at its core is something that happens as the church engages um, just in its normal life of piety, that as you confess, as you worship, as you bear witness, as you catechize, as you make disciples, ingredient to those um, activities, for lack of a better term, of the church's life, those dimensions of the church's life, um, theology is going to be there. you cannot you can't do those things without theological reflection being somehow baked in. And so that I'd, I'd want to make the case that when we're defining theology we should we should think about the church context primarily. so let me let me pivot us now because I <laughs> I, I've been on the hot seat. Let me turn, flip the tables on you here. Um, you know, as a pastor, and as someone who's been theologically trained, you know, you have a you have a, a graduate degree from from Yale. I mean, you've you've studied theology at the highest level, but now you're engaging in pastoral ministry. So you have a very interesting uh, vantage point, I would say, for thinking about the, these issues. Um, but for, for specifically from your work as a pastor, what would you say happens? When the church forgets theology,
1: well, one of the things that I've been, as I've listened to you talk about the life of the church and the different dimensions, uh, the um, w- preaching and 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 discipling and um, and serving and all the all the different things, including. Uh, and worship of course uh creeds and and prayers and and singing and so forth um all of that is uh you've wanted to make the case that that's bound up to and it's there's a there's a connection with this um uh, with a with a deeper and more reflective um kind of way of thinking about these things that we might call theology i want to i want to take off on that and uh and and connect that to uh, to something that isn't original with me. I mean, it was said. It was particularly lifted up in, in the 20th century by liturgical theologians like Aidan Kavanaugh, But uh, I want to uh, point out that uh, there's always going to be some sort of talk about God going on in the church sure. if it's if it's actually a church, and not and not indistinguishable from a country club or, or the Kiwanis or something. Uh, there's going to be there's going to be some sort of of talk about God, talk, of course, talk to God, but also talk about God. And I'm using "talk" in as expansive a way as possible. We can sing, and we can, uh, we can pray, and we can act, and all of those things can say something um, about God and about God's being and about God's ways and and God's mm-hmm. works. And that's the kind of thing that Kavanaugh uh, called uh, primary theology. Uh, it's it's not um, it's done it's done as part of the part of the life of the church um, that's just what happens uh, in the church and um, and and then and then I would say this this more this deeper and and more careful and kind of more rigorous uh, way of thinking about these things uh, reflective mm-hmm. we might call it. Um, some people have wanted to say something like second order um, uh, reflection thinking about this uh, thinking about this God talk. Um, uh, other people would call it secondary theology. I think that's what that's what we're uh, aiming at, or that's what we're trying to sort of um point to when we talk about theology, academic sure. theology. And that, I think, is meant, as Kavanaugh and others uh, pointed out, to uh, to to well, in its task of reflecting on the worship and the and the service and the praying and the singing in church, uh, try to, um, well, one, one thing is to to try to keep it, uh, uh, tied to the gospel and tied to scripture and tied to Mm -hmm. the truth, uh, about God. And, um, it's, uh, it, it is, it is possible. It's all too possible for that kind of, um, that, that kind of the primary theology, the praying and the singing and so forth to, uh, to kind of, uh, go off in in weird directions, sure. um, and we all uh, we all know what that that kind of thing looks like, um, and there've been uh, there've there've been arguments about exactly that sort of thing throughout Christian history. Um, so I think that the if uh, if the church if the life of the church uh, loses its um, its interest in and its connection to this kind of secondary reflective. Deeper, more rigorous style mm-hmm. of thinking, then uh, it very easily starts to um, uh, very easily starts to get lost. In fact, I can think of several mm-hmm. ways in which it does. Um, uh, one is, and and we, I mean, we see this all the time, right? In in uh, in contexts which are are allegedly or are supposed to be Christian, um, Jesus. Is uh, is sort of uh, just a a kind of instrument or a, or a means to get to um, whatever whatever is seen to benefit me. Yeah. I'm whatever whatever kind of peace or or um, security or some other thing that I'm looking for. Jesus becomes the the means to that. And without a kind of reflective way to say, wait, well, are, uh, what's going on sure. here? Why uh, why are you you know why are you going that direction then? You know, it's very easy for, for that to happen. So, I mean, it sounds to
0: me like you're saying um, that theology within the life of the church exercises a kind of regulative function, meaning like, you know, so here we are, we're yeah. just inevitably, we're talking about God, we're assuming things about God, we're, we're asserting things about God in our worship and our, you know, just in all sorts of ways. And is it correct, am I hearing you right, that you're saying that theology is when we sort of say, okay, let's pause for a moment and let's assess whether... Um, The kind of the implicit picture of who God is that is being projected by our just normal ways of referring to God, if that's if that's adequate, right? Are we are we on the right track? So theology is when we slow down to assess um, the God talk that's happening just within our communities. Am I am I hearing you rightly there?
1: yeah yeah I think that's uh that's right. and to if I can shift the the imagery a little bit, something that the Lutheran theologian Robert Jensen said he didn't use this language of primary and secondary theology, but he spoke of the church as being tasked with uh, maintaining or 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 preaching the gospel with uh, with uh, presenting this message of the gospel. <clears throat> excuse me, and of theology, this kind of secondary reflective theology as as you point it as you point out uh pausing and saying wait a minute uh is that really when you're when you're doing that or when you're saying that or singing that or praying that is that really communicating the gospel or is it doing yeah. something else and if you write if you talk about if you talk talk about Jesus as the um, as the highest creature uh, uh is that really proclaiming the yeah. gospel <laughs> okay. um so Jensen liked to say uh, theology is has the role of of, um, of kind of as you point a regulative role of saying well to speak the gospel we really ought to say this and sure. not that and of course that can be argued but it has to be I think it has yeah. to be done
0: so I mean so in short then when the church forgets theology um, I mean in a sense you're saying the gospel is at stake I mean we're we're, we're subjecting the gospel to potential corruptions um, you know to potential yeah disfigurements um, captivities of various kinds I mean that raises the question for me that raises the right. question for me like um I mean it's sort of a similar question to what you asked me um what do you think are the roots of the neglect like why why might one be tempted or why why is it i mean we've we've talked about how you know th- seminaries sometimes have a tendency to not really um care so much about the practical life of the church, and conversely the life right. practical life of the church can sometimes um can sometimes pr- promote a kind of indifference to theology so what what would you say are the sources of that right. indifference or the sources of that maybe even disdain where does that come from do you think
1: it's a it's a very good question and it's I'm sure as you've so pointed out it's it's very complex and kind of that has this has this long history but I think that one of the one of the temptations at least now I don't know I don't I don't know if we could say this so much of the of the church 500 Years ago or a thousand years ago, but but definitely now the temptation is constantly to uh, uh to evaluate and to judge what's going on and how we're doing by um very kind of uh pragmatic, uh does it work sorts of sure. criteria. Um, you know, we want to get warm bodies in, let's do what we don't we need to do to uh to get that we need we need we need uh you know we need offerings we need income uh in order to do the things we want to do uh, what what are the what are the things we have to do to uh to make that happen and and that sort of thinking that sort of uh, uh secular or uh, at at some at some level secular pragmatism i think is really uh infected mm. uh the way that we, at least in the West, think about not only uh, not only church, but sort of our entire mm. lives, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's been it's been easy and uh, ex- exacerbated by I think the tendency of uh, academic theology because of its you know be- because of its emphasis on you know these very uh, uh, deep and. And uh, sophisticated thoughts and language, its its tendency to become sort of more siloed and inaccessible. Um, but that's not been. I mean, I think uh, we in the church have kind of um, that. That's 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 happened not without our uh, involvement. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> We've decided in in lots of different ways that theology that's just too. It's theoretical. It talks about something we can't see. It talks about something we can't measure, yeah. and um, we can't. I mean, we've we've got a, you know, we've got to be a success yeah, in this world.
0: That's interesting. I yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Can, do you mind if I share a, a pet theory of mine? I'm curious to hear your your thoughts about Please it. Please do. A, you know, I, I've had this theory because you know, as a theologian, I sometimes do have to work pretty hard to convince um, even very committed Christians that theology is something that. Um, is worthy of, our, worthy of our time and attention. I mean, it's an, and I understand some of the reasons for that. But I've, I've wondered over the years, um, my experience in kind of the late modern West, whatever we would call this kind of moment in history that we're living in, is, you know, the blanket assumption seems to be that religion belongs to the category of something like um, self-help or therapy. It's, it's a way of finding meaning in the world, that's very personal. It's very private, and thus, um, in a sense, um, it, it's utilitarian, right? I mean, my concern for you um, is that you find some way to sort of um, construct meaning in your life, and so long as whatever mythology you embrace um, accomplishes that purpose, um, you know, in a sense, then it's doing its job. And I, I don't really have any particular. I don't feel any need um to interfere, you know, with your belief system. So I mean, the example I'll sometimes give in class is like if I tell my secular neighbor that I believe in the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, the reaction you'll probably get is like, you know, something that's a little bit patronizing, like, well, that's I'm I'm really glad you found something that 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 helps you sort of identify meaning or experience transcendence that works that works for, works you. for you. Yeah. And so, but we all live under the umbrella of that sort of assumption that religion belongs to the category of like, you know, private meaning making or something like that. That's whose purpose is, um, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, but it's the purpose of it is therapeutic, you know, and, and that's just very different than most of world history. Right. I mean, even today in other parts of the world, um, Imagining different places in the world, if you were to tell your neighbor, I believe in the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if that neighbor is a serious-minded monotheist of a different faith tradition, um, they're going to have some very serious questions for you, right? <laughs> some, some hard questions for you, because the umbrella assumption is that, is that actually religion involves, um, it, it involves truth claims about the nature of reality, and so you are responsible in a sense in a culture like that for for actually thinking through um, how your belief system kind of maps onto um, the way things are. And so I sometimes think right. that um, part of the reason we we don't we, we kind of have this pragmatic bent is because we've sort of implicitly bought into this notion, you know, that that theology, that religion isn't a matter of truth claims. It's a matter of something else. And therefore, we, we need not concern ourselves. Um, with with kind of um, I don't know with, with the complicating uh, discourse of theology so so what
1: do you think of my my pet theory right right I think I think that's right I mean I think that uh, the this this idea that that religion instead of becoming uh, a way to talk about what's actually out there the truth of the world it has become this kind of you know privatized um Sort sort of self expression, mode of Mm -hmm. self expression. I mean, I think that's that that is the that is the culture we live in. And um, when you were telling, you know, you're telling your example about sort of talking to a serious monotheist of another faith tradition. Of course, you know, as soon as soon as you start talking about that, as soon as you start uh, giving an illustration like that, someone will say, "Well, that's exactly why." Uh, we've we've made or we've wanted religion to stay private because you know there was right. a century not too long ago when you uh, you made those sorts of claims and people would try to sure, kill each other sure. over them um, and so what we've what we've done is we've said okay in, in order in order not to have the kind of the the world sort of go to go up in flames in a of a religious war we'll just. Um, we'll just make religion a a matter of the uh, invisible, yeah, in or our private
0: heart. judgment or something like that.
1: Right, right. But that completely, that completely neglects the question of well, is there a truth out there? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, that, that's that's a good point. I think that is that is baked into sort of the way we um, the way we live and think in the in the late modern West. And I mean, even those of us who are very who take theology and church very seriously, it's just impossible not to be influenced, um, by that mindset, even as much as we might want to push against it, I think. Right. Well, I, this is such a good conversation. I want to keep going, but I, I also recognize we need to probably wrap things up for the, for the sake of time. Um, I should probably say for the sake of our listeners, just, um, most, most of the episodes that we'll be having in the podcast will always involve um, a guest of some kind that Maurice and I will be be chatting with. And this upcoming season, we're really excited about it. Our topic is going to be catechesis. And um, we're going to be talking with um, various scholars who have done a lot of work on the history of catechesis, both within the Lutheran tradition and outside of it. We're going to talk about catechesis in the early church. We're going to try to focus on um, the, the the task and the practice of catechesis in our late modern uh, Western context. So, um, you know, be on the lookout for those episodes to be forthcoming. We hope they'll be releasing, you know, about every four to six weeks. And uh, so, yeah, anything you want to add to that, Maurice, about the, about the catechesis season?
1: Just about catechesis, I'll say, and I'll, I hope I will have opportunity to bring this in again, but uh, you look at something like the... Um, like the the Vatican's, the Roman Catholic Church's new sort of manual on catechesis, what they call the Directory of mm-hmm. Catechesis. And what I really like about it is, or one of the things I really like about it, is the there's the close connection it makes between catechesis, teaching the faith, and evangelism. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, we talk— we, you, you talk about catechesis, and of course, it's got this, the word itself has this sort of distinguished and uh, and beautiful history, but it can seem sometimes like just, well, I, it's just a matter of kind of teaching the right yeah. things and, you know, memorizing. Those of us who are Lutherans will remember growing up just memorizing <laughs> stuff as part of catechesis. Um, but. Uh, but catechesis and the way that we'll be talking about it with our guests and with each other uh, during this season, catechesis is is uh, kind of it's it's an integral part of um, of the of everything else that the church sure. does. And uh, so I'm very excited to be talking about that with you and with our guests. Yeah, and it's
0: it's one of those areas where um, theological reflection isn't the main thing, but it's baked into the main thing, right? You can't do catechesis without a certain measure of theological reflection. So hopefully, it's a good case study. Um, for our, our mission in this podcast to think about how theology and the church can, can be co-laborers um, in the ministry of the gospel. Yes. Well, yes. we hope you've enjoyed listening uh, to this introductory episode of Cardigan and Collar. If you have enjoyed, please, we'd ask you to consider pressing like or subscribe to help us spread the word a bit to a broader audience. And as I said before, be sure to join us next time as we continue or as we turn to our series on the topic of catechesis. Thanks again for listening, and goodbye until next time. Cardigan and Collar is a podcast of the North American Lutheran Seminary, which exists to
1: form pastors and leaders for the North American Lutheran Church. Cardigan and Collar is hosted by Dr. David Louie and the Reverend Dr. Maurice Lee. Our
0: producer is Stephen Neaton, and our theme music was performed and recorded by Mary Van Hooser. For more information about the North American Lutheran Seminary, visit www
1: the NALS.org.